All right. Good evening, everybody. Good to have you out with us. You can open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, as we get started. I am, uh, it's all right with everybody, just going to bypass any kind of singing tonight. And this is going to be a little more informal than than our typical uh, church service type of uh, live stream or even a Bible school. Uh, I'm, as you can see in the description, we're talking tonight about parents and their pupils. So I've given that title for this. And, and I, as you know, this is a lesson where I'm going to talk about Sunday school and a little bit of the history of it. And uh, I'm going to especially focus tonight on the parents' responsibility to the most important pupils that they'll ever have, the most important people they'll ever disciple, their own children. So if you would, uh, bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us tonight, and then we'll get into this lesson. Father, thank you for this privilege tonight. I believe that this is an incredibly, incredibly important lesson. And therefore, Father, I don't want to hinder anything that the Spirit of God wants to say or do tonight. I pray that, Father, I I don't know who's listening exactly, but I'm sure there are plenty of moms and dads. And if they've tuned into this, and Lord, I assume that they genuinely care about their children and they'd like to learn how they could be involved in the spiritual development of their kids, please guide them. Even if it's something they use five, ten years from now, Lord, uh, give us the tools we need tonight to raise our children for the next however many years we have. And we ask it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 1. This can be as interactive as it needs to be. If you guys have questions or comments, I'm, like I said, a little more informal. You can see I don't have a a, a collar or a tie or anything like that tonight. Just just want to speak to you from the heart and from the Scripture. Uh, That being said, I'm going to check the messages from time to time. And uh, if I see them popping up and, and try to address any questions or, or comments that you might have on this stuff. Let me introduce this lesson with a few verses from Proverbs chapter 1 to begin with in verse number 8. The Bible says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Now, let me give you the context of the book of Proverbs. Solomon wrote it, and he wrote it for a specific crowd. Now, any of us can benefit from it, regardless of your age. But it was specifically, the, the target audience was young folks. Especially, I would say, about the teenage type of years, the adolescent. You see this in verse 2, 3, 4, 5. Solomon is wanting to give the younger generation advice so that they learn what wisdom, knowledge, understanding, to give subtlety to the simple, to, to help them mature in a godly way. Part of the maturation props process for any children, I, I dare say the most important, right? When that child is growing up, it's the mother and father, verse 8, giving them instruction and law, telling them what's expected in life. Verse 9, ornament of grace, chains about thy neck. Moms and dads, you know how this goes. Those of you that, that have children, regardless of their age, if well, let me not say that. If, if they're age 2, 3, even young, you know how this is. You buy them clothes, 
and then it seems like two, three months later they grow out of them, right? How many times have you had to go back to the shop and because, you know, your son's trousers are sitting this far up off his shoes now because he just keeps popping up and growing. It seems like they wait to hit a growth spurt for you to buy them clothes. It's like something about going to Edgar's causes our children to grow, right? They will grow out of their clothes, but they will never grow out of the good advice that you give them. That advice, that law, that instruction that you instill in them at a young age sticks with them. I'm not going to say that your kids will always abide by it, but it will be in them. Rather than decorating them with the you know, in-style clothing and spending money on things that they'll wear for a few months and then grow out of, why not invest some time, some effort into this ornament, this chain that can go about their neck? Look at chapter 6. You'll see how it, uh, Solomon uses the same type of illustration. Proverbs 6, let's get verse 20 down to 22. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. Now look what Solomon says happens with it. Verse 22. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. Go, go where? When thou goest, go where? You know, eventually that child's going to grow up and go. Moms and dads, it is your responsibility to prepare them for the time that they have to go. That time will come before you know it. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. You know, I thought about that long and hard. I've struggled to sleep for a long time. I wonder if there's something I missed when I was young. I wonder if I could have learned something, some principle for life that would have helped me sleep better. Because I think a lot of the problems with my sleep is not knowing how to deal with the anxiety of the day. I wonder if I, if I missed something when I was young. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Now, I, verse 22, right? We like to think of this as, well, that's the Bible. Look at verse 23. The commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. If, if you just took verse 22 and 23, it'd be very nice to say, well, that's the Bible that leads that person as he goes, lies down, rises up. But in the passage, it's the teaching, it is the instruction, it is the commands, the laws that the mom and dad are giving the child. Incredible, the responsibility. Look at chapter 29, Proverbs 29, verse 25. Proverbs 29, verse 25. That's not what I want. Verse 15. 29, 25 is a great verse. But that's not the one I want. Verse 15. Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. There's a lot in that verse. There's a lot in all these verses. So forgive me if I don't spend a long time unpacking them. In the first part of verse 15, the rod and reproof. You need both. You need the proper balance. And it's not 50-50. Every situation is going to be different. But 
in the raising of your child, you need sometimes the rod, sometimes reproof. It's not enough to simply tell them you were wrong. Sometimes they need a physical reminder. Sometimes they need that point driven home in a way that they won't quickly forget. Sometimes, not all the time. You can't have just the rod, no reproof. You can't just go around giving them a, a pox law and a hiding without explaining to them what they're in trouble for. That just frustrates kids, makes them angry. It, 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 right? Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That, you give them a, a whooping and they don't know what it's about, frustrating. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Don't. Let the child raise himself. Moms and dads need to be involved in that child's life. Now, of course, that will take on a different manifestation depending on the stage of that child and where they're at in their development. But they need to be involved. Uh, get chapter 31. Chapter 31, look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel. Now, Lemuel appears to have been like a, a trutulnam. What a term of endearment, I, I think you might say, or like a, a bainam, a nickname for Solomon. And it appears that his mother gave him that nickname. Now, that's a lot of conjecture, but Lemuel, that, mean, that, that name means belonging to God. So it appears that it would have been Bathsheba is involved in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel that uh, the prophecy that his mother taught him now when you read the rest of this chapter it doesn't ring like the prophecy that we normally think of when we hear that word we think prophecy we think second coming tribulation millennium you know prophecies the the word prophecy is so much bigger than just that especially the way you hear it used in a lot of churches these days the prophecy that his mother taught him what's prophecy when God reveals a message, it is the word of the Lord. You know who taught Solomon his Bible? His mother and his father. We know David did. We know he did. Right? You can read that in Chronicles. But his mother also sat him down and said, Solomon, listen to me. Here's how life is going to turn out. And I know it's going to turn out like this because God said, if you do this, then this will happen. That's the prophecy that his mother taught him. Look at what the prophecy is according to the passage. Verse 2, What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows? Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. She is warning him about various vices in life. Watch out for strange women. Watch out for uh, drinking because it'll pervert your life. The prophecies were, you go down that path and it'll destroy you. The prophecy was, you find a good woman, verse 10, all the way to the end. You find a good woman, her price far above rubies. That will add value to your life. So his mother, his mother taught him these basic things about life and about God and his word. Look at chapter 22. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, look at verse 6. This is a verse you probably expected tonight. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. <clears throat> Sorry. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Now this, this verse, very broad, train up a child. What is involved in his training? A, a lot, a lot. I, I know some people, when they approach this verse, they say, well, you know, I'm going to teach my children to be Christians from a young age, and that way when they grow up, they'll definitely be Christians because this is a promise from God that if you raise them Christian, they'll always be Christian. Now, practical experience tells us that that's not always the case. However, I'm not doubting the veracity of verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Well, when you're teaching a child, training that child up, in the early, especially the early stages of his or her development, you are instilling in them some basic fundamentals that will stick with them the rest of their life. So let me explain this training process. I think there's two parts to it. Number one, discipline. And I'd, I'd, I'm not talking about pox law or anything like that. Discipline, teaching them how to behave, how to conduct themselves. That starts in the early days of their development. I'm talking early, early. And then as they get older, the training, you still have to help them with their behavior but it becomes more doctrine. So it's discipline and then doctrine. And the parents are the primary people responsible for the children's development, not only with behavior, right, with, with discipline, but also with doctrine, it, for their spiritual well-being. Let me give you, a, I wanna unpack that a little bit. What, what do I mean by how to behave, teaching them how to conduct themselves, this discipline? What type of things do you need to be teaching your kids while they're young? Number one, Good manners, right? Things like this, good manners, teaching them to be respectful just to anybody, but especially to those in authority. Teaching them to be nice, the importance of kindness, teaching them to be patient. You know, sometimes children really struggle to wait. It is going to be a much, it's going to be much easier for them in life if they learn how to wait when they're young, to wait patiently, uh, to, to be calm. Training children to be calm. The idea of my child is two. Now, forgive me if any of you have two-year-olds. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just throwing out an age. They, they call it the terrible twos, right, for a reason. But we've all seen it, and we've all gone through it, where our children pitch a fit. They, they throw what we call a, a temper tantrum. For mom or dad to say, well, you know, this is just that stage of life. They're just going through it. Eh, let them work, work it out of their system. I'll let them work that out. Oh, they have got to learn how, to, the Bible even says in the book of Psalms, to quiet themselves, to calm down. There's always a time for tears, right? When something legitimately painful has happened, the child needs to cry and they need to know it's okay to cry. Then there's a time that it's not okay to cry. And it's your responsibility to teach them to control their emotions. Uh, to be generous, right? Teaching your kids to share. Teaching them that good behavior gets rewarded, bad behavior gets punished. This instills in them a healthy fear of God eventually, right? When, when, once they understand that there's somebody bigger than just mom and dad, there is God out there. Once that reality sets in, they're going to, this basic fundamental that good gets rewarded, bad gets punished, it could eventually lead to their salvation. Teach them how to think. Say, Brother Mike, what do you mean by that? You run up against a problem. Your child can be four or five years old. Ask them, how would you solve this? What would you do to fix this? And then discuss it with them. Teach them how to think critically like that. Um, 
Teach them to ask for help when they need it. Right? These are some basic behaviors that are going to stick with them later on in life. That's the general rule that we are promised in Proverbs 22.6. As they get older, better able to understand it, then you start giving them more doctrinal stuff. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? What does this relationship with God uh, involve? How do you go about it? Why do, why do we observe things like baptism and the Lord's Supper? Why is going to church and reading your Bible important? It's fine to expose them to those things at a young age, right? They're going to be exposed to it in your homes. They're going to see you doing it, right? They may not understand exactly why it's so important until later on. That's fine. That's fine. The doctrine will come. Now, question I want to pose. In, in, what, in all of this, in what, what role does the church play? Well, obviously the church should be there to help train your children in both discipline and doctrine. But I believe the church's primary goal would be to prepare the parents, to give the parents the necessary tools so that they can teach their own pupils. Now, should the church be involved with teaching children in something like a Sunday school class? Why not? I always think of the passage in John 21 when Jesus says to Peter, uh, do you love me? You remember three times he asked him. And in one of those times, Jesus responded by saying, feed my lambs. Now, a couple times he said, feed my sheep. But in one of those cases, he said, feed my lambs. So I always think, you know, Peter, he, he's, he's the preacher. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem for a little while. He was instructed not only to teach the older folks, the sheep, but also the younger ones, the lambs. So I always think of that when I consider Sunday school. But primarily, it is the parent's responsibility to be overseeing that child's development in every way, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Does the parent or do the parents need to do all the training themselves? Well, no, the church can't assist. Right? You'll have uh, schools giving them the basics of, of uh Reading, writing, arithmetic, those kind of things. You can obviously have other people involved, but you need to be overseeing it. Let me give you a little history behind Sunday school. The first Sunday school is a little difficult to pin down exactly when it was first attempted. But the movement, the Sunday school movement, most people officially date it to 1781. A man named Robert Rakes. He was in, I believe you pronounce this place, Gloucester. Gloucester. It looks like Gloucester to me, but Gloucester, somewhere in, the, in England. And uh, they came to him, I believe he was a, a journalist, but also a Christian, and they said, please, can you kind of spearhead this and organize this effort to teach the underprivileged children in Gloucester? And there, there were, there was a, that town was overrun with orphans, and underprivileged, underprivileged families. And because of the extreme poverty in that area, parents, both parents, had to work all day, 12 to 14 hours a day, six days a week, and a lot of them a seventh day even, uh, just to survive. And the kids had to come to work with the parents, and the children would work all day next to their parents. 
And because of this, the children would grow up without any education. They would never learn to read and write and all of those basic fundamental things that we tend to take for granted. So because of this, the children, as they grew up, they kind of would lose their way. Some of them would, you know, give over to drinking and just the, the, just head down the wrong path, crying, you know, things like that. They said, these kids are getting into trouble. If we can organize an effort to teach them, maybe we can keep them out of, out of trouble and, and provide a better future for them. So they went to this man, Robert Rakes, asked him to organize the effort. So he did. He publicized it, he gathered, and, and hundreds of kids began to pitch up for this. What they did is they said, we will, we will have school on Sunday. Because the kids were busy working with their parents the other six days of the week. So on Sunday, we will gather the children together, and we will teach them all day. And it wasn't just a religious thing, although the Bible was the main textbook in their classroom. But they were going to teach them reading, writing, arithmetic, along with basic fundamentals of, of the Bible. Now, bear in mind, in these days, education was reserved for the very wealthy of society, sending their kids to private schools or hiring tutors. And a lot of the people in Gloucester and in the surrounding areas were concerned about this Sunday school movement because they said, if we educate the rabble, they might actually rise up against us. So there were certain people that were very against this. As Let me just tell you how the day would, would go. On Sunday morning, 10 a.m., they would start. They would have about two hours or so of classes, teaching them how to read and write and various things, mathematics, and then send them home for lunch. They'd come back about an hour later. They would have a church service then. After the church service, so this is at 1 p.m. they would start again after the church service. They would go back to their various subjects that they were studying, and they would knock off at about 5.30 p.m. So it's a full day, a full Sunday school day. Well, that was 1781. As things picked up, momentum picked up, by 1785, 250,000 children were enrolled in Sunday schools. And of course, this is spread, right? It's not just Gloucester, but all over now in the UK. It, it was a growing movement. And it wasn't too long after that, just, I can't remember exactly, four or five years after that, it, the movement grew to about two million. And it wasn't just children now attending the Sunday school. That's how it started off. Orphans, underprivileged. But moms and dads were starting to pitch up too because they were never given the elementary things right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. So they were coming along on Sundays to learn these basic things. Now, due to the growing demand, Robert Rakes and all of the people that were behind this, this uh, effort, there were several different Christians, several churches. It wasn't one denomination. There were several denominations that, that uh, were involved in this. But they were dependent on the goodwill and the generosity of, of the Christians in that town. But it grew so big that they had to go to the state. They turned to the government and said, please, can you help fund this effort and provide the necessary tools so we can continue to teach the kids and, and anybody who came? As soon as the state got involved, obviously they said, well, if we are going to fund it, 
we are going to supervise it. So it didn't take long before it turned into a state-run project and it evolved quickly into what is even today considered the English state education system. So public schools, basically. It came from the Sunday schools. Now, even though it, it turned into a state-run thing and obviously biblical things were slowly pushed out, the Sunday school movement continued on in churches. Now, not all churches were continuing to teach these basic elementary skills, but they, they held on to that time slot, right? That extra time on Sunday. Churches would have a, a service, but then they would also have a different dedicated time to train a certain group of people in a specific area. It wasn't always just children. Sometimes it was say, let, let's gather on a Sunday afternoon and let's uh, have a, a parents class teaching parents how to raise their children and whatever the specific need was. And churches from all over begin to use that extra time to fill a need. I, I remember one pastor saying um, in one of the churches I visited years ago, he said, I don't know who invented Sunday school. I don't know how long it's been around. All I know is it gives me an extra hour to talk to you folks, <laughs> which is maybe not the most educated way to approach it, but he's right. We, we have held on to the concept of using Sunday to train the people. So it depends on where you're from. Some people, as we have done in our church, they have Sunday school before, then a main service, uh, and then later on they have an evening service, as we do. Others, as most of you were probably raised, the adults go to the church service, the children have Sunday school. And then in the early days of it, uh, sometimes they would come to church and then the entire afternoon was considered Sunday school, right? You'd have the church service, and then people would sit around teaching various biblically related things to, a lot of times it was the youth. So the schedule for Sunday school has always been up to that, that local church, that congregation. And you can tell here recently, even for us, right, things have had to change given our circumstances, and that's perfectly fine. No problem. But here's what I fear. Here's what I fear. I fear that even though the church is well within its right to use Sunday, to use extra time on Sunday to train specific uh, age groups or to address a certain need, the church can do that and should do that. I fear that some parents have become lazy as a result of it and said, well, it's the church's job to teach my children these spiritual things. It's the church's job to oversee the spiritual development of my family. So I'll just let the church handle that, and I'll take care of the things I'm comfortable with. And that's not the way it was meant to be. So let's take a look in our Bibles again. Come to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where do we read about Sunday school in the New Testament? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, I can tell you right off the bat, we, we don't read about Sunday school in the Bible. Paul wrote three pastoral epistles, right? Timothy, two, two to Timothy and one to Titus. And not once does he mention anything about Sunday school, but he does mention this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. He says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. 
So Timothy, from a child, knew his Bible. Where did he learn it? Well, his dad wasn't saved, and his dad wasn't Jewish. So there's no reason to think that his dad had anything to do with it. We don't read anything about Timothy going to a synagogue in his early days and learning it there. I'm not going to rule that out, but I think 2 Timothy 1, if you look there, we'll see where Timothy learned the Holy Scriptures from. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Unfeigned is, is not faked. The unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now think this through with me. Lois and Eunice, were they Christians? Well, they probably ended up Christian, but not when Titus was a young boy. Uh, best I can tell, Lois and Eunice, the faith that they had as, as they were, let's say, when, when Timothy was young, the faith that he saw in his grandmother and in his mother was a faith in the Holy Scriptures. And then as Christ died and rose again and the message of the gospel began to circulate because of their faith in the Scriptures, right? It was able to make thee wise unto salvation. We, we didn't finish that verse over there, but that's what 2 Timothy 3.15 says. So because they taught Timothy the Bible when he was young, when the gospel was presented to him, it just made sense. So you can see that the people responsible for teaching Timothy, it wasn't the church, it wasn't the synagogue. It appears that it was his mother. Now, lest the fathers feel left out, I'm going to show you Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm sure you're familiar with this verse, but Ephesians 6 verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, I think I've shown you enough scripture now from Proverbs, from Timothy, here, you can see it's not just mom, not just dad. It should be a dual effort. By the way, that is how God intended it. If you do, however, happen to be a single parent, don't think that you're not able to give your child everything that he or she needs. You can, you can still do a wonderful job as a parent, but, but the plan, right, the gold medal is that both parents are involved in this. So there's no reason, right, there's, there's nothing in any of the epistles, any of, there's nothing in the New Testament that says the church cannot be involved in teaching children. But there is no command that the church sets up special programs and sets aside a special time just to teach them. There's no command for that. But there are commands for the parents to be doing that. So I, I think this would be a good way to say it, that the, the church should merely be supplementing what the parents are giving the kids at home. Uh, take your Bible, come to Deut Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I've, I gave you a couple verses there in Timothy. Right? And Timothy's mother was a Jew. His grandmother, I, I'm going to assume, was Jewish. That just makes sense. Um, and because they were Jewish, Jews have always been people of the book. That's why Christians, right? The Judeo-Christian worldview is one of we trust a book as our final authority. And when you dig into Jewish culture, Deuteronomy 6 plays a very important role in their culture, in Jewish culture. Have you ever noticed that amongst Jews, 
right? They always seem to be well educated, just as a people, right? Not not every individual, but Jews always seem to be pretty sharp. You know, doctors, lawyers—they're always a step ahead when it comes to that. Why do you think that is? You say, "Oh, it's just the miraculous blessing of God." I don't. Th- <laughs> I'm sorry, but intelligence, right? For some people, you might think it's a miracle, but it's not how it works. Deuteronomy 6, look with me at verse number 4. This is what we call, um, in, in Jewish culture, this is Shema Yisrael. The Shema is a prayer that they pray. And in Orthodox Jews, they pray it twice a day. They recite this verse, this passage. And there's a few other passages that every day they go through. This is a part, it is ingrained in the Jewish mind. So in verse 4, Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael means, hear, O Israel. It's the Hebrew for it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now, now, don't you want your children to grab a hold of this truth, to know that there's only one God, one true God, and that they should love Him with everything they have. But look what's connected to it. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, talking to moms and dads, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. Please, keep... Please watch this verse. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest He said, I want you to have parents. I want you to be diligent. Be on top of this. Give your kids the Word of God. Let your eyes sneak down in the chapter. Come to verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, Go ask the pastor. That's not what he said. When your son comes and says, why why are we Jewish? Why do we do these things? Why aren't we like everybody else? Why aren't we like the Gentiles? Then you tell the story. We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and gave us this revelation. And we fought. And this, you see, the son will eventually ask, in time to come, your children will ask, why, why do we do things like this? Why do we go to church? Why do we read the Bible? You need to be prepared to answer that. So I'm not sure what I'd say to those questions. Well, then come ask the pastor. <laughs> this is where the church supplements. Right? We will help. But our primary goal, I think, our responsibility is to prepare the parents to, do, to answer these questions. Now, uh, flip back one, one last place, one last verse. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. This emphasis within Jewish culture that parents should teach their children, right? it influenced that culture so much so that it wasn't just, let me tell you about God, but let me prepare you for life. That's how Jews approached it. Because as thou walkest by the way, sit in the house, lie down, rise up, Every part of their life, the parents were telling them, this is how it should be lived. Educating the next generation was a big deal for them. 
Where did they learn that? I think they got it from Abraham, to be honest. I, I think Abraham kind of set, set the tone for the Jewish nation. Genesis 18, verse 19. God said this about Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Started back with Abraham, saying, Abraham's going to teach his, his household. So here's the challenge that I would like to give to the families in our church, you moms and dads. You know, during this COVID lockdown, strange regulation time, it has created chaos in everybody's life to a certain extent, right? Some more than others. But chaos, as difficult as it can be, chaos also provides opportunities for creative thinking. So I'm going to ask you parents to do some creative thinking. When the lockdown started, as a church, we, we wanted to provide stability in a very chaotic time. So we went ahead with live streams, not only for our church services, but also specifically for the children. Just wanted to provide the stability. And, and we understand everybody's packed away in their homes. It's kind of nice to, to have something just for the kids, you know, keep them interested and involved and we wanted to provide that, and we did. Now that our church services have resumed, things are different, right? For those of you that have come out, you know it. It's, it's certainly not the way we're used to, but we're up and running, and we are having Sunday school classes. Now, because it's been an awkward uh, time, and we're getting used to you know, this, this, these regulations, and we have different groups at church each Sunday, right? What we're doing is we have a Sunday school class for the kids, public gathering, one Sunday. Then the next Sunday, we don't have a Sunday school for the kids. And every other week like that, right? So Tani Pietru and my wife, Christina, they, they, have been, they are now teaching the children every other Sunday. And what we've been doing on the off weeks is Mareka has been providing a live stream for the children. And I got to praying about it. And because we've had to do some shifting around to accommodate the various groups that are coming to church, I thought this would be a great opportunity for moms and dads to do some creative problem solving, if you want to call it that. I think we have an opportunity for moms and dads to handle the Sunday school during the off weeks. So every other Sunday, right? Now, if you want to do it at a time that, you know, not on Sunday, if you want to do it on a Tuesday or Wednesday, help yourself. You can pick whatever day you want for that matter. But here's the challenge I'm laying out for you. On those off weeks, moms and dads, you come up with a lesson for your kids. Right? We're not going to have the live stream every other week. You are the live stream. You are the public gathering. You gather your kids together. You know exactly what kind of stories, what kind of lessons that they need to learn. Sanctify some time. Sunday would be a great day to do it, but I'll let you decide because it's your schedule. And make time. Put some effort into this. Uh, if you gentlemen especially, well, anybody, anybody, this is true for anybody, but I, I, I say it because I've recently had gentlemen ask me about it. You got a big presentation at work, yeah? 
and you know, hey man, this a lot's riding on this. I've got to show my boss that I know what I'm doing so that my career can move forward. How much effort would you put into that presentation? How much research would you do? How much time would you spend on it? Probably quite a bit. Why? Because it's going to impact your future in a big way. Your job's important to you. I'm not condemning that, by the way. You should prepare. What about your children? How important are they? Can't you set aside some time to do a little research, to do some creative thinking, to say, now, what can we do? What kind of a, a special event can we put together that will teach our kids something valuable that will help them now and possibly even later in life? You say, well, Brother Mike, you know, big presentation and work, that doesn't happen every week. So that, maybe that's not the best illustration. Okay, well, let's, let me knock it back a step. You send your kids to school. The teachers... When, when your kids get to school, do you expect the teachers to be prepared with a lesson plan? Well, of course you do. Those are your kids. You want those teachers to have done their homework so that when the kids arrive, they can, they can learn the information properly. Same thing. Your, your ki- it's your kids. Take some time to formulate a plan. How can we, what can we organize What can we do to teach, to train our pupils? Now, I want to get you started in this creative process. Let me give you just a few ideas here. Let me first say, family devotions, right? I know many of you do that. Family devotions and what I'm asking you to do are are two different things. I am not suggesting that this creative plan that you're going to come up with is going to be something that you have to continue on every week for the rest of your life. I think a family should devote time for God every day to some extent, whether that's praying together, reading the Bible together, something, right? You should have a family altar to some extent. What I'm asking you to do is just for the next few weeks, while COVID and all these strange regulations are still a problem, these, these odd weeks that we have, when we don't have a public gathering for Sunday school for the kids, that's, right, that's the special time that you can arrange something for your children. So family devotion is slightly different. Um, when it comes to family devotions, let me give you an idea or two. Praying around the dinner table. It should, that should at least be done. But before you pray, why don't you have a stack of prayer cards? Maybe you've seen, we, we have some in the church if you need some. You can get various missionary prayer cards and, and stack them on the table. And every night you rotate them and say, this is the missionary we're praying for tonight. It gives you something to talk about over the meal, by the way. You can have a prayer letter handy to read. You don't have to do that every night, right? You can change it up, rotate it a little bit. You know what you could do before you pray over the food? Go around the table and say, anybody have a special prayer request? It can be something as simple as that. Now, that's more of a family devotion type thing. Let me, let me, I want to give you a couple examples of what you can do for your child, your child. Now, this is something that I, I started doing a while back. I didn't do this with Megan and Caleb, but with Amy, I, I started it, and I'm very glad I did. We do something called Mamie Cipleship. Now, you know what discipleship is. 
When Amy was young, she couldn't say her name properly. She would say, I'm Mamie. I'm Amy. I'm Amy turned into Mamie. That M kind of fell into the second word. So I'm Mamie. And she thought her name was Mamie. So that's been her nickname ever since. So what I did, I took our discipleship course. And I decided I'm going to disciple my daughter. And on my, on my calendar, every Thursday, I have time set aside just for Amy. I take her on a date every week. And every week what I do, I don't know how well you can see it, what I do is I formulate a little exam. I don't teach her the whole lesson. I don't go just one lesson at a time. It took, I think, six weeks, five weeks to go through lesson one. And I taught it in a way that she could understand it. And by the way, we've gone all the way to advanced discipleship. She's 10 and she gets it. She gets it. I give her a little exam. It takes time for me to come up with these questions, to, to make it look nice. And then at the end of our lesson, when we, when we go to a different coffee shop or something like that. I sit down, teacher, we have our lunch, we have our coffee, whatever we're doing. She has tea. And then she fills out the exam. You can see she'll fill it out. And then I always, you know, if she makes 100%, which she almost always does, I do a little decorating, you know, and drew a book there. Here, the lesson was about the world, so Jesus looking over the world. I try to get creative. This one, I wrote here, you're getting smarter and smarter. <laughs> Guys, did you know, I went to Amy yesterday and said, Amy, can I please borrow these? She kept every one of them. She's kept them all. Could you do something like that? And you say, my kids are too young. They're, they might be too young for, for this type of thing. That's true. But couldn't you set aside some time to come up with something that would challenge your kids a little bit, like an exam, right? Put together a game that you know they would like. Uh, Bible story books. This is just another idea. You can get these at Coom. You can get them at most bookstores, especially for the younger kids, right? Something that introduces the stories of the Bible to them. They don't need to know all the deep doctrine and theology. Just get them familiar with the biblical stories. After you read a story with them, uh, ask them questions. What do you think about this? What do you remember about the story? You'd be surprised what kids will tell you. Let me give you some answers. Here's what some kids walk away knowing about the Bible. They asked one kid, what's the first book in the Bible? He said, the first book in the Bible is Guinness. Right, like the beer, Guinness. <laughs> Bless his heart, that's not quite right. That kid said, and, and God created the world, and when he got tired, he took the Sabbath day off, which, you know, not quite right. Another kid, they asked him, what do we learn from the book of Exodus? And he said, all the Egyptians drowned in the desert. No, not quite right. But And he said, after that, Moses climbed Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments, which... <laughs> Not quite, but close. One Sunday school teacher, she spent about 30 minutes talking about the powerful kings and queens um, in the Old Testament. And then this teacher said, but there is a power even greater than that. There's a higher power than kings and queens. What do you think it is? And one little boy raised his hand and said, aces, <laughs> which I, I hope you understand the joke, right? It's a card thing. 
she was he was thinking of cards. What what, what would beat a, a queen or a king would be an ace. <laughs> Obviously, she's talking about something else. One teacher was talking about the Battle of Jericho and when the wall of Jericho fell down. So she went through the whole lesson, taught the whole thing. The, you know, the walls came tumbling down. And then at the end, she's asking the class, so who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And one little boy who was notoriously naughty, he said, it wasn't me. <laughs> Here's what I want you to take away from all of those anecdotes. Talk to your kids. Ask them questions Find out what they understand. Let them tell the story to you and see how good they do. You, you might be shocked at just how much they do grasp and find out, you know, where maybe a few wires got crossed. You know in church how we do sword drills? Um, you read a verse and then I have you find it. You know what I used to do? By the way, you can do that at home. Um, I used to do this when we would drive around in America. I would challenge the kids. This is Megan and Caleb when they were younger. I'd say, read a verse, any verse in the Bible, and let me see if I can tell you where it's at. And that, that became one of our, uh, I don't want to say favorite car games, but we played that game in the car quite often. Couldn't you do this? right, Moms, dads, don't your kids ever come and talking about wanting a candy bar or a sucker or some sweet or something? I, Right? They, they, they want that stuff. And that's fine. There's no problem that they ask. How not, why not make a game of it? So i tell you what. Let's play sword drill. You read a verse. Let me see if I can tell you where it's at in the Bible. You read half the verse. Let me see if I can finish it. And if I can't, you get the sucker. If I, if I can finish it, if I can find it, you don't get the sucker. Right? Something. But be creative. You say, what kind of basic lessons should I teach them? You know... Depending on what story it is, there are certain lessons that are more obvious, whether it's patience or being kind or forgiving. But that's the beauty of the Bible. As you go through, you're going to cover all these important aspects of life. It lays out the curriculum for you. It'll allow you to talk about those things. As the kids get older, and if you have older children at home, finding a, a Christian movie, right? watching it together and then talking about it. Same principle exists. You want to get them involved. You want to hear what they think. Which leads me to say this. Create an environment where open discussion about spiritual things is welcome. Create that environment. There, Guys, there are so many resources online and in Christian bookshops. You really don't need me to tell you various ideas because they are just a, a few clicks of the keyboard away. You, you'll have a hundred different ideas, things you could try. But your children need to know that they are allowed to get involved in this, ask questions, that those questions are welcome. You want to encourage that. Create that environment of open discussion about spiritual things. It shouldn't be awkward in your home to talk about God. When I was young, my dad, right, and most of you know my story, my dad's not saved. As a Catholic, unsaved Catholic, you know what he did with us? When I was, I think, eight and nine, he read through every word of the Bible with us, with me and my sister. It took, him, it took us a while, but every night he sat us down and would read with us. My dad eventually picked up this little Catholic publication 
And every night he would sit there and read. It'd take about 10, 15 minutes, he'd read it, and we'd discuss it. To be honest, uh, I didn't look forward to those times. But when I look back at it, I can't remember one lesson. I can't remember one thing I ever learned from those little pamphlets that he read. But I, I know this. I know that the things of God were important to my dad. And I learned that making time for God in my day was important. I learned that. Moms and dads, by you getting creative, trying to put some ideas together to teach your children, the time and effort you put into this, that is the lesson you're teaching your children. Your kids are going to pick up on the fact that you put effort into their lives, that you made time for them. That will mean the world. They are worth your extra time. Right? Like I said, family devotions, that's one thing. I'm asking you to, do, to take, a, take it a little further. In the off weeks we have in church, when we don't have a Sunday school class for your kids, you be the Sunday school class. In closing, I'm going to read you one thing and leave you with this thought. This book, you've seen me read from it several times. John Patton, my favorite missionary, his, the home he grew up in was just tremendous. And what he has to say about his parents here illustrates my final point wonderfully. You can come up with the greatest ideas, be creative, be interesting, make time for your kids, but if they do not see you living a proper, godly, genuine Christian life, then all of your teaching, all of your time is going to be undone. You just striving towards... I want to say the, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. When the, your kid's seeing you putting effort into your own Christian life, that without even saying anything, you're teaching them something very important. Let, let me read you something. This is John Patton's autobiography. He says this about his early days. Each of us, from very early days, considered it no penalty, but a great joy to go with our Father to the church. Wow. The four miles were a treat to our young spirits. They had to walk for four miles. That takes, by the way, four miles takes about an hour, hour and a half, depends on how fast you walk. So that's, that's a pretty long walk for a kid, for anybody. The four miles were a treat to our young spirits. The company, by the way, was a fresh incitement. And occasionally, some of the wonders of city life rewarded our eager eyes, because you know, they didn't get out as much in those days. A few other pious men and women of the best evangelical type went from, and then he goes on to talk about, they, they came from various areas, all going to this one church. And what would happen is these other families would join up with the Patton family, and they would all walk together to church. And then he goes on and describes this time. And when these God-fearing peasants, and he puts in quotes here, foregathered. So before they met at the church, they met on the road. When these God-fearing peasants foregathered in the way to or from the house of God, listen, we youngsters had sometimes rare glimpses of what Christian talk may be and ought to be. John Patton, as a boy, was learning what it means to be a real Christian. 
by listening to his dad talk to somebody else as they walked to church. Let me finish this paragraph. They went to the church full of beautiful expectancy of spirit. Their souls were on the outlook for God. They returned from the church ready and even anxious to exchange ideas as to what they had heard and received of the things of life. Brilliant. You know what they heard as the people were walking home? They didn't hear people cutting down the pastor and arguing with each other and telling dirty jokes and cuss words. They didn't hear that. They heard people eagerly talking about the things they had heard and various ways that they could be applied. I have to bear my testimony that religion was presented to us with a great deal of intellectual freshness and that it did not repel us but kindled our spiritual interest. The talks which we heard were, however, genuine. Not the make-believe of religious conversation, but the sincere outcome of their own personalities. That perhaps makes all the difference betwixt talk that attracts and talk that drives away. So what can I do to train up my child in the way he or she or they should go? It starts with you being genuine in your own walk with the Lord. And then I am challenging you to put in some extra time. We as a church will continue to teach your children and to set aside that time in our schedule. But because of this opportunity with these strange regulations, you have a chance over the next couple of months, maybe, to get creative and do something special with your kids. So I hope that's helped tonight. If you guys do have any questions about it, or maybe you want to bounce some ideas back and forth and say, listen, uh, this is where you moms and dads talk to each other. I've done it many a time. I've asked other parents, what, what do you guys do for family devotions? Borrow, borrow knowledge. Talk to each other. What, what have you tried? Maybe somebody else has a fresh idea, but put in a little effort to training your children. I know, I know you folks that have tuned in tonight, you're the ones that do care. Those of you that have taken time, even if you're not listening to this live, you, you probably want to make a positive difference. So if you have some questions about it and ideas you want to try or ask about, please feel free to let me know. I thank you for your time tonight. We're, we're going to end in a word of prayer. And then, Lord willing, I'll see some of you on Sunday. Father, thank you this evening for the privilege of uh, talking about these things. And I do pray that the parents that have tuned in be able to go away from this with a, uh, with a revived uh, spirit about the opportunity they have to teach their children. Lord, might they, might they have that freshness in their own heart and renew their efforts to train up their children. Help us, God, all of us. Oh, God, what a massive responsibility to teach to teach these, these uh, pupils in our homes. Father, give us the ideas we need. And Lord, have mercy on us, please. God, we're doing the best we can. Please continue to help us and guide us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, thank you so much for your time. Lord willing, see you Sunday.